thought you would have to wait until September for football DFS, but nonetheless, we are here for the inaugural USFL weekly daily show. How about that? The USFL daily four for four football show here. As always, I am your host, John Daigle. Every Friday afternoon at 3.30 p.m. Eastern and every Friday afternoon, I will be joined by friend in life, creator and CEO of runthesims.com, which has all your USFL projections right now, none other than Justin Freeman, who I believe, Justin, moved to Birmingham just for this moment. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we loaded up the wife and kids in the, uh, in the Toyota Highlander and uh, hit the road, uh, I-95 South, I-20 West, until we got to Birmingham. Yeah, we're here for about uh, four days, and um, it's it's been a lot of fun so far. We're just kind of hanging around the city, seeing what everybody's talking about with the league and everything like that. And, uh, you know, we've met a couple players along the way. It's been a lot of fun. I am genuinely going to do my best to get out of your way because it would be a disservice to everyone if I did my player spin when you were literally, you have boots on the ground there. You've been hanging out. I've seen you pestering media, quote unquote pestering for uh, DFS information. You're also watching all the transactions. Like I already mentioned, you have all the projections up. So you're the one that's really plugged in here. Some people can say they like, they enjoy spring football. You literally traveled for spring football. And that tells me all I need to know about getting out of the way for you. But I do want to begin because what we have this week is the inaugural four-game slate. And it's a very interesting one for a number of reasons we'll get into along the way. But I'm curious if you have any overarching thoughts on how to play USFL DFS, what separates it from NFL DFS outside of the DraftKings, for instance, roster construction of wide receiver tight end and two flexes with the defense just any overall thoughts that you think are unique that people have to hammer in their head before they're building lineups yeah i mean i, I think it's as important how you build your roster construction wise as it is which players actually make up that particular team because when it comes to the players in many ways we're all guessing we're trying to pick up the breadcrumbs uh, I call this somewhat of a working man's game. You've got to go out there and, and find the nuggets. And luckily, you know, if you're, if you're going to get a run the sim subscription, you're going to essentially take advantage of the fact that I've been out there uh, grinding pretty hard, trying to, to gather every last um, you know, piece of information that I can get because it's soup. There is no Adam Schefter for USFL, at least not at this point. Maybe, maybe one day we'll have one, but uh, you know, we've got to go out there and try to find our own news. And so that means finding a local TV news clip that showed a little bit of practice footage where maybe we saw a glimpse of who the first team offense is, you know, maybe that's uh, you know, a, a tweet from one of the players. Uh, maybe that's a photo from the team account. You know, it could be, anything like that. And so luckily what we're doing or what we found as of last night is we're actually getting really good injury information uh, directly from the teams. And so monitoring that is going to be super important because here's what's happening is, uh, you know, we're getting the, those injury game statuses and we're also seeing guys uh, sort of de-elevated down to the practice squad because these teams have to trim their rosters down. So you'll have people playing guys in this 100K to first tournament who literally will not have a uniform on on Saturday or Sunday. So just knowing who's even in the player pool is going to put you at so much more of an advantage. And like I said, it's an information game. It's, it's This is not a player takes game like it is when we're talking Sunday NFL slates. This is about knowing simply 
who is most likely to get the ball for each of these teams. I love that spin on it because I've taken in a lot of USFL content for better or worse over the past few days. And although there is a lot of good player profiles and information out there on coaching history and play calling, what I'm seeing right now is a lack of how to win in DFS discussion, right? Uh, a four-game slate and not much discussion on late swapping, especially in a main four-game slate where one only takes place on Saturday night we're about to get into, and then three on Sunday. So especially because the chalk quarterback and a couple of teams with right now only two running backs on their roster are on Sunday. How do we handle this since everyone's only playing like one of those two running backs for the lack of depth on the roster, but then also gravitating to the same one. And again, we'll get into those names, but right now I do want to make sure as we move along discussing how to win in short slates and where to take stances on and where to get even more unique to give yourself an edge over the field who, like we said, is probably going to make mistakes and not paying attention to the information and trying to have takes in week one. If anything, none of us have takes because right. we have – no clue about what's about to happen. Uh, we know their draft status, and we know that some players, for whatever reason, just didn't show up. And that's pretty much what we know right now. So that's why I'm excited to get into it. Exactly. And and it reminds you of the divisional round of the NFL playoffs, if you want to go back to the, the sort of DFS angle, where you're getting those sequential slates where you don't have to worry about overlapping games. When they're literally playing all the games at the same field, so they can't overlap. Um, so as soon as one game's over, they'll get ready to run the next one out. Um, and, and so you've got time. You've got a little bit of time to sort of reevaluate your roster. Okay, did the guys that I played from that last game do well, do poorly, kind of right around expectation. If I want a shot at first, do I really need to go off the board here? And so it gives you a great, great, great chance to uh, utilize some game theory on the field because we know, we know people don't late swap enough in NFL. And, and that's a situation that doesn't exactly lend itself to late swap nearly as much as this does with three opportunities to do it between games. So I'm excited about doing that, just sort of evaluating every lineup in my portfolio with sort of how much risk is needed for the duration of those games. Well, let's dive right into it because the inaugural game is Saturday evening, one game, 7.30 p.m. Eastern between the New Jersey Generals at your your Justin, Birmingham Stallions. Uh, the Stallions, of course, we believe are going to run a spread offense since head coach Skip Holtz has done that in his past, in particular at Louisiana Tech. And so I'm curious if or who stands out among Birmingham's offense for you as the inaugural host. Yeah, believe it or not, I actually spent a year as a student assistant under Skip Holtz. So uh, I'm, I'm sort of part of the Skip Holtz coaching tree. So to Given speak. your USFL history, I know right now, I do believe you, actually. I believe you. <laughs> The, the year was 2009. So, uh, yeah, uh, but Skip Holtz uh, runs a really balanced offense um, and not balanced as in like 50-50 run pass. Like um, he, he mixes it up good. Um, you know, they'll run a little bit of uh, I would say they'll, they'll base run out of 11 personnel, uh, one running back, one tight end. Um, we did see uh, last night some injury news come in for both of these teams. So Jordan Chun, who was sort of penciled in as the third string running back, popped up on the injury report. They went ahead and de, de what do you what do you say de elevated? What's the word there? Uh, when you put somebody down, uh, demoted uh, to practice uh, squad, um, and 
There you go. And, and two other guys, Peyton Ramsey and Sage uh, Surratt, will not play. They're they're both um, uh, demoted to to practice squad there. So we're only going to have two running backs, true running backs on the team. Tony Brooks James and CJ Marable. Uh, fullback Bobby Holly will be a part of the offense, but uh, probably not expected to take on a big rushing load. Uh, probably just going to be used more so as uh, as a lead blocker. But you know that the fact that they even have a fullback on that team uh, tells you a little bit about maybe what their DNA is going to look like. They want the opportunity to be able to you know go and get a uh, you know a fourth and one or, or whatever that situation might look like. So they they pick a guy who's got a lot of versatility in Holly, but. Uh, I think Tony Brooks James looks like a super strong play, especially if you're looking at the showdown slate. Um, he profiles as the starting running back here. He's got a track record uh, from his time in the NFL of being about the pass catcher and a uh, and a you know probably going to be a strong rusher compared to the field here in the USFL. So uh, expecting quite a bit there, and I really like their quarterback Alex Magoo. He's really grown on me. Uh, over the last month or so, as we've gotten to know more about these players, um, I think he's a pretty versatile player. And he was honestly selected by Skip Holtz because he torched them so badly when he was playing at Florida International and Holtz was at Louisiana Tech. And uh, so, you know, it, it's funny how, you know, we, we talk about that with Belichick. He always goes out and gets the players who torched him the year before. And uh, here we are. Holtz is doing that with Magoo, who's the starting quarterback there. And I think he could have a fine game. I do like to weigh NFL talent heavier in this league and not just players who made an appearance in summer league or like spring training, um, showed up in preseason games. I mean, players like Tony Brooke James, as you mentioned, who appeared in regular season games. It was on the Steelers active roster for quite a few games. And so a player like that, of that caliber, when you tell me there are only two running backs on that same roster, that's the kind of player I get really interested in and say, okay, even in a short slate, although it is the first game and we should probably use as many slots as we can for late swap while everyone plays these guys, that sounds like a player I genuinely don't mind going overweight on because what I'll be trying to do throughout the show and in the first week of USFL DFS is really trying to leverage the running backs other players believe are going to be voluminous workhorses because I think what's going to happen is we may, we may run into quite a few like Damian Harris on DraftKings situations, right? Where uh 20 for 50 yards doesn't get you there. You need that touchdown. So like if I can take a player and I'm not saying this is Tony Brook James, I think it's the opposite where he's actually like you mentioned going to catch the ball and see a lot of targets as well as his carries. But if I can find an edge as we move along here, and I think I have one in that there's going to be a pass catching back behind a early down grinder. I want to leverage that pass catching back on DraftKings in particular because I don't care about those carries. I'm not expecting many of these players to be explosive. Uh, it reminds me of Trent Richardson and AAF, how he really just got there on touchdowns and touches. Um, and I don't think they're going to really top 50 or 60 yards in many instances. So I definitely want to get as many points as I can via pass catching. But in this case, that doesn't go for Tony Brooks James. I'm with you. I'm very high on him. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And we'll talk about some of those guys as we work our way through the games. But if you'll remember back to the XFL days, you know, 
it was almost always, you know, occasionally you'd get like the Devion Smith type of game who was just a, on a team that had a great offensive line and they were able to run it really well. But most other guys that sort of fit that sort of archetype just ran into the back of their offensive linemen on repeat because, you know, the, the, the talent gap among offensive linemen, you know, from this level to the next level is, is pretty severe. And so those limitations pop up in the running game. So having somebody who can be more like the Lance Dunbar from the XFL, um, you know, and go out and catch you five balls for 50 yards, even if they don't score a touchdown, gives you such a better uh, statistical profile for DraftKings scoring than the guy who you're really praying can vulture a touchdown near the end zone. When discussing the other team in this game, the New Jersey Generals, what stands out for you as a point you want to make to everyone? Yeah, well, uh, again, the injury report uh, came out late last night, and Mike Weber uh, was a guy who's been questionable this week with a knee injury, and he's been demoted to practice squad now. And Weber was a guy I had a huge projection for uh, up until that point. So there's two guys left there as well, Trey Williams and Darius Victor. Trey Williams, the Texas A&M guy, Darius Victor from Towson. I actually met Darius Victor uh, this morning. They had a little meet and greet with some of the players. So I got to meet Luis Perez and Darius Victor. And uh, you know, I asked Luis Perez, I said, uh, who's going to score the first touchdown for the uh, New Jersey Generals? And he said, we're going to march the ball down to the one-yard line, and Darius Victor is going to plunge it. In. So I think that tells you a little bit about his skill set. He's um, he's going to be their short yardage goal line type of guy. Um, but he sort of fits that profile that we're talking about of guys that we have a really scary floor for, um, for for our fantasy purposes. Doesn't profile as a significant pass catcher the way Trey Williams probably does. Uh, I do think Darius Victor probably leads the team in carries. But again, there's a lot of warning signs there. We have questions about how good the generals are going to be in general. Well, uh, that pun unintended. Uh, but um, I, I think Trey Williams, if you had to pick one of the two, probably has the best uh, PPR skill set. Is there anyone that stands out to you that we should look to stack with or even play Luis Perez. We know he struggled immensely in the AAF. Um, and so I'm just curious if he carries his own weight, assuming he starts over DeAndre Johnson. I'm not sure we have that news. You probably know. Uh, I think that's very likely to happen, um, that, that Luis Perez is the starter here for New Jersey. Um, we, we will not know any of this until it actually happens, but uh, I certainly project Perez as the starter for right now. The thing about Perez is he doesn't really have that versatile quarterback skill set that we just see almost across the board in the NFL these days in terms of mobility. Um, you know, we, we've not seen, we've had plenty of opportunity to see Perez in action um, and he's just not a mobile guy. Um, you know, we will see, we've seen, um, you know, some of these other guys actually take off and at least uh, avoid pressure, move in the pocket, uh, scramble, extend the play. That's, that's not Perez's game. It's going to be quick passes, get it out, uh, you know, pound the rock with Darius Victor and play action over the top. I think that's going to be their attempted recipe for the generals. Uh, I think that's got a, a, a lowish floor and a lower ceiling. Uh, if, if you're thinking about playing Perez, I would certainly uh, – Obviously, this is different if we're talking about the showdown slate. Obviously, a quarterback is going to be almost certainly viable for showdown slates across the board, but not one of the eight quarterbacks I'm going to be targeting this week. Well, 
as you mentioned, we now suddenly have these two rosters with only two running backs, which is a premium in USFL since most have three outside of surprising scratches or demotions. So knowing that this is the game break, right? We now get into a three-game slate for the next day and potential late swap opportunities. Is there anyone in this game you're dug in on playing knowing that we can leverage this situation on Sunday? Yeah, I think uh, I'm going to want some sprinkles of Tony Brooks James for sure. Um, I'm going to be building almost all of my lineups with as few running backs as possible. And that's just got to do with the way players are likely to accumulate points. Uh, I'm way more likely to be interested in trying to target a handful of receivers who can uh, find ceiling across the board. Like we're not going to see – you know, an Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey type stat line from these guys. It's just not in the range of outcomes, um, you know, but what, what you do want, so, so you do want to leverage your lineup with more receiving pass catching talent. Um, so you're going to want to have the one right running back that you, that you needed. And I think there's a really good chance Tony Brooks, James fits the profile of the type of guy you'd want in there. So I agree. I will be overweight over the field on Tony Brooks, James, but also, I wonder for week one, this is something I keep going back on. That's why it's funny you mentioned receivers being the leverage here. I wonder if the football is just going to be so bad, given these guys have only been in camp with each other like for a week, no continuity whatsoever, barely working with your own quarterback. I wonder if week one is the week to prioritize two running back rosters in your flex hoping you pick the right touch-based workhorse because the receivers may be completely off sync with their quarterback. Almost like I compared to the NFL Thanksgiving slate, right? When we expected to have a lot of poor games. And so um, we were really like shoving, like think of Cowboys Raiders, for instance, like we were shoving Josh Jacobs into our lineups, Dave Montgomery against the Lions, just trying to get touches and build a floor-based lineup because that was what was going to win given the low projections. I wonder if a floor-based lineup like the safety route doesn't win. Now, it probably won't win the big tournament, as you mentioned, the very big one. But like mid and high stakes, single entries, that's typically what I play. I do wonder if taking that route is going to go over well in week one. And so that's what I keep coming back to. I think if you're playing in a 500-person tournament or less, shove more running backs in there because – um, you're going to have way better projectable volume for those guys. There's a really good chance that if you play Victor Bolden, for example, who I think is going to be the number one receiver in this game, he, he may just be like fifth in the rotation for all we know. Yeah. And, the, the, you know, that should not surprise anyone. Whereas they, they only have two running backs. Somebody's got to get the ball. And so, you know, even if you're wrong there at, at which one it is, you're still getting something there. And I think this week one is a, almost as much about avoiding landmines as it is about nailing the guys who all have the perfect game. As we continue to deep dive into the inaugural week of USFL DFS, reminder to use the promo code RUNTHESIMS when signing up at 4-4 for 10% off of everything we are discussing today. Because I promise you I'm going to try to put this behind a paywall because Justin's injury information alone should be kept to the subscribers. So remember, Run the Sims, promo code, 10% off, all the projections at runthesims.com, all the tools we're discussing, even betting tools and for player props, they're all there. And I use it. It's, it's a terrific tool. So make sure to use that promo code. But moving on, 
to the first game of Sunday, the second of a four-game slate, the Houston Gamblers, Kevin Sumlin's Houston Gamblers, at the Michigan Panthers, who, unless the juice was squeezed entirely last I checked, were the favorites to win the league in year one. However, I am very skeptical given how poor of a prospect the very first quarterback they drafted and Shea Patterson was coming into the league, undrafted, of course, cup of coffee with the Chiefs, did not even survive training camp, and Paxton Lynch. Not only that, because as we know, Justin, Shea Patterson and Paxton Lynch are also expected to platoon, as they mention Paxton Lynch as a potential Josh Allen comp for some reason. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. I tend to have. If you expect something different, so let me know because that's that's just what I've heard reports right do, now. I kind of do, honestly. Like, pe- people people talk about platoony type situations, and they rarely ever happen in actual football games. I, I think what's more likely is you get the Taysom Hill, Drew Brees type of situation here, where maybe once you get into the uh, you know the red zone or something like that, that's when Paxton comes in and orchestrates the offense from inside the twenty. Uh, I don't see this being a true like alternating script situation. Um, maybe, you know, maybe Paxton comes in in certain high leverage situations, but I really don't buy the platoon narrative. And that may come back to bite me, uh, you know, here in the future. But for right now, I, I'm kind of comfortable um, assuming that Shea Patterson is going to be the guy there. If that's the case, then, and everyone else is expecting a platoon if only because they've been mentioning that with Jeff Fisher, does that make you want to attempt to leverage Shea Patterson and his stack? And by the way, as we move along, I also think double stacks are going to be the way to absolutely do this uh, and just make sure the one team ex- that explodes, we of course need to be overweight on that offense exploding since we're expecting a bunch of low totals this weekend. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're going to want to just have as much as we can. And you can actually play up to six players from a single team in this particular format. Oh, I, I don't know, know that I don't know that I'd exactly go quite that far, but I'd not be afraid to put four guys from a single team in, in a lineup. I, I think that's probably the majority of how I'll be building this week is saying like, OK, in this scenario, we're pretending the Michigan Panthers are the creme de la creme of the USFL. Shea Patterson looks phenomenal. He's just slinging it all over the yard. And so I'm going to pair him up with three pass catchers that all do well when he does well. And, and maybe maybe only two of those guys have a usable stat line and you miss on the third, but that's okay. You're probably going to miss on whoever else you would have chosen there anyway. And you don't have to go perfect seven for seven in, in getting studs in your lineup. It, if you have five really good scores, probably you're going to be strong enough to be in contention for the lead, uh, really depending on how well the chalk does. Is there a stack partner or partners with Shea Patterson that stands out to you? Yeah, you know, we talked about utilizing running backs who can catch passes. And this might be an interesting opportunity to pair to pair Patterson with Cameron Scarlett. I think Scarlett profiles as the premier pass catcher out of this backfield. Plus they have one running back, Reggie Corbin, who's currently listed on an injury report with a hamstring injury. So we could be in a situation where we're down to two backs. And Scarlett is a guy who we should not be surprised to see line up uh, in the slot as a bona fide receiver as part of this really thin depth chart at receiver. So he's got a really versatile skill set, allows you to uh, sort of, I, I could see him being this year's Lance Dunbar. Uh, so I think that's a, a guy certainly be interested 
interested in. I think the the more um, Notable names here, Lance Lenore, who has a history with the Dallas Cowboys, Jeff Bidette, the former Oklahoma speedster, you know, well-known for uh, how fast he ran the 40, I believe it was sub 4-3, and a tight end who I've got my eye on. Um, you know, We're not certainly trying to jam tight ends. There's no reason to in this format, but LaMichael Petway is not your everyday tight end. He's a split-out wide kind of guy, um, You know, big-body tall guy, goes out and makes plays on the perimeter. Um, so really a tight end and name only there for LaMichael Petway, but those would be sort of my top options. We're keeping an eye on an injury status to Ray Bolton also, uh, who uh, is listed on the injury report with an Achilles injury. I, I kind of think he probably doesn't end up playing here. So, the, you know, that makes Lenore and Bidette uh, even stronger plays. I also think you get unique, as you mentioned, not only overstacking offenses, but also adding the running back, the pass catching running back in particular, correlating them with your quarterback. Very few people, even in the big tournament, no matter how sharp they are, will go double receiver and the pass catching running back or double receiver. And as you mentioned, split wide tight end. That's also a very unique way. So definitely make sure you mix all those up. On the other side of the ball, though, already mentioned Kevin Sumlin. We also know historically he's run fast paced offenses, both at A&M, and Houston, do you expect that for the gamblers as well? Yeah, I think the uh, Kevin Sumlin's actually got a surprisingly run-heavy history, despite his reputation uh, with with pace. And so, I think they could lean on the ground game here. I think as you're looking at teams who don't exactly uh, impress a ton on paper. The gamblers kind of fit that description. Uh, Clayton Thorson had a pretty pedestrian career at Northwestern, um, you know, struggled to really catch on in the NFL. Uh, so I'm not super bullish on their prognosis, but I, I do think Kevin Sullivan's a really good coach. And uh, I think he could, he could potentially lift this offense, but as you're looking for names, you might recognize I mean, I don't see anything that's super encouraging. One thing of note, we talk about injuries. Dalen Dawkins, the projected starting running back, is listed on the injury report with a hamstring injury. Obviously, hamstrings for running backs, that can be pretty precarious. Might be a good reason to play Mark Thompson, uh, the guy from Florida. He's a big body guy. Um, and while he may not be the typical you know, prototypical profile guy that we're looking for, he may be the guy with the clearest path to success if Dalen Dawkins sits. And fortunately, all those injuries you mentioned are literally next to your projections and the player's name at Run the Sam. So everyone make sure they look for that little red injured guy on the left side whenever you log in. Um, I think, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. There's Well, there's two ways to look at it. It's a double-edged sword because on one hand, we probably expect this game to be the heaviest faded thinking that these offenses are the least sexiest. But on the other hand... That also means they're going to carry low ownership across the board. And for a few injury opportunities, like you mentioned, maybe that does mean we should get on this lack of depth charts. Yeah, I mean, it's let's wait and see how the injuries shake out here. But mm -hmm. I will have some interest in Mark Thompson uh, if, if the Dalen Dawkins thing ends up working out. And luckily, uh, we will get that information. That should, if we sort of hold serve with what happened yesterday, uh, the, the league tweeted it out close to midnight last night, um, the the sort of de facto inactives report, um, which is essentially more time than we've been given in the past for NFL games. You know, usually we get those 90 minutes before lock. We're getting these essentially final statuses really quickly. And, you know, like 
I think one point that's also worth noting here is these teams are really thin. They're, they're rolling in with sub 40 person rosters when they show up on game day. That is not a lot of bodies. So, you know, if you see a guy who's, you know, looks like they'll be the number five or six wide receiver on the team, you can best believe they're going to be out there running routes. Like, I mean, there's not enough roster space for them not to be utilized as much as possible. And it'll also look weird. Like if you think about who the star receiver ends up being in this league, uh, who we don't yet know, there's probably a really good chance that they're also the gunner on the punt team or, you know, some other role on the kickoff team. Like these guys are all like playing as many positions as possible because versatility is key. And these rosters are super thin. Moving on to the next game, it's interesting because even for a league and offenses and coaches we really know nothing about with no chemistry and no way to handle it, we expect the Philadelphia Stars and New Orleans Breakers to be the heaviest roster game and most explosive game. And again, that's in knowing nothing. So I want you to go ahead and tell us why everyone is so high on Brian Scott and for starters, the stars who we expect to be a spread offense. Yeah. The stars look like they will be a lot of fun. They'll go a lot of empty. They'll go a lot of one back, no tight end. Um, even their tight ends are pretty athletic as well. So um, they've got a lot of size on offense too, especially at the perimeter. Jordan Sewell's a huge body guy at wide receiver. Bug Howard, the former UNC wide receiver, is now playing some tight end. Pro Wells is there also. Um, they've really got a lot of talent there. And Brian Scott has some history with the head coach there, Bart Andrews, who is, uh, and Brian Scott's also the reigning MVP of the spring league from when that happened. So he's got a history of at least rising to the occasion and performing well in this type of spot. So I, I'm pretty bullish on Brian Scott and I like the way that they're you know, setting up this offense. Uh, I don't have a lot of clarity at the running back position. I think they'll start with Darnell Holland uh, as the starting running back, but Matt Cole, Auburn looks a little bit like a pass catching type. And then Paul Terry's actually listed as dual position running back and wide receiver as he was drafted. Um, so he'll be a little bit uh, both ways. But again, I'm once again interested to see who's left off the team uh, tonight. You know, we're going to get a barrage of tweets from the USFL uh, close to midnight tonight with eight guys who we thought were going to be on the roster that are not. And uh, that's going to massively change projections. So well, certainly if you know, if you're over on run the Sims using promo code four for four, that you will go ahead and refresh uh, tomorrow morning and, and rerun your lineups because there's a really good chance we get some really interesting news tonight. I also, as someone who has played many a showdown big 12 college football slates, this is also seems like a good opportunity to one triple stack the quarterback with Brian Scott, but then also make sure we triple stack in a unique way, like the bottom three receivers, knowing that all of them are going to be running routes. Like whomever we think is going to run the most routes, we try to leverage that situation and say, screw it. We actually don't know, but the field's going to go one direction thinking they know. And thus I'm just going to take these other three guys instead and hope for the best. Even if we get lucky, as I always say, I'd rather be lucky than right. And so I think that's an approach. I want to go to this game because I truly do believe there's explosiveness on both sides of the ball. So tell us what we should also know about the other side of the ball and the breakers offense. 
Yeah, so this is a team led by Kyle Sloter, and uh, he's got a pretty decent reputation from his short period of time in the NFL. Um, he's like one of these guys where you think there's a real clear path. If he has a good season here, he'll be invited to an NFL camp uh, this upcoming fall. So a lot riding on his shoulders. Um, they have a three-man rotation at running back. I think they'll get started with Larry Rose, but you'll see these other guys mix in. That's TJ Logan and Jordan Ellis. But Larry Rose was the highest drafted guy and, and a guy I do think will get the first snap um, out there as well. Uh, at receiver, some familiar names, uh, Chad Williams and Taewon Taylor, uh, former NFL players. I mean, Chad Williams was like a legitimate uh, redraft asset at one point in time, uh, as was Taewon Taylor for that matter. And now, um, you know, here they are trying to earn their way back into the league. And uh, would not surprise me at all if if both those guys are heavily involved in the offense, along with Sean Poindexter from Arizona. Um, I, he's a real big guy, six five guy, um, who's going to hold down one side of the perimeter. Um, so I think that makes for a pretty tight three wide set there. Um, and then Sal Canella looks like the locked in tight end one there. Um, he's a guy from Auburn who should come in and and sort of operate that middle of the field area. But I really like uh, Chad Williams as a potential leverage spot play for us this week. Chad Williams over Taiwan Taylor as the leverage. Yeah, I think so. I think people are a little more familiar with Taewon Taylor. He's got maybe mm -hmm. a little bit more uh, household name recognition and uh, has one round of draft capital on, on Chad Williams. Uh, Taewon was picked in the 16th and Chad Williams in the 17th round. But um, that actually, they're two of the bottom guys in terms of draft capital because Johnny Dixon and Jonathan Adams were both actually taken above those guys. But yeah, I, I, like, uh, I like Chad Williams a lot this week. So we need to talk about these quarterbacks. We already mentioned them, but in the stance that we all know Jordan Tiamu in the final game, Tampa Bay Bandits at Pittsburgh Maulers, is going to be chalk a quarterback. And chalk USFL, no big deal. Let's just spin off that, right? The issue is that it's a chalk rushing quarterback. And that's what I'm concerned with. Just the fact that in the XFL, average eight carries and 43 rushing yards. Um, but in that gadget Battle Hawks offense in St. Louis uh, that led the league in run play rate and RPOs, Tiamu also low completion percentage, but all he was doing still, even with the low completion percentage, was just dumping off short and over the middle of the field. So I, I keep asking myself, like, does his rushing prowess, like, does it actually exist? Or was it because the offense made him that way? And I think just asking myself that, I tell myself, okay, well, like, I don't know. Thus, there's volatility there. Thus, I don't have to play him. And that in itself is being unique and going to Brian Scott or Kyle Sloter instead. That's my spin on it. I want yours. Yeah, no, I, I think that that tracks. There's a difference between can run and does run. And while we have a history of seeing Tamu the last time he's in the XFL, which, you know, if you're playing the USFL, that's going to be really heavy, probably in your memory bank. Uh, he, yeah, he's capable, but, you know, so is Alex Smith at one point in his career. That doesn't mean like we label him like the most mobile quarterback of all time either. So um, th there's a difference between just taking what the defense gives you uh, and smallest of sample sizes too over the XFL season. Um, Tamu was, um, you know, battling with Taylor Heineke for the job there. So um, 
anyway, yeah, I think any guy who projects for super high ownership makes for a good fade in USFL. The fact is we simply don't know. I mean, what if the bandits are terrible? Like what if their offensive line is garbage and Jordan Tamu can't do anything all, all game long? That's very viable. You know, not to mention the fact that he could just simply not be the highest scoring quarterback uh, based on his play alone. So I don't think there's any reason to force the issue there. I mean, I think definitely sprinkle them, but I mean, anybody who's going to be super popular definitely want to be lower than the field on those types. I also think you're naturally contrarian by playing the defense against Tamu, playing Pittsburgh's defense, or playing them both, knowing that it seems, I know it's, it seems like it might not be intelligent, but knowing that if he is a rushing quarterback, like when we play preseason NFL DFS, we like to get those sacks from rushing quarterbacks. And so both Tamu and the defense can get there, and no one's going to think to play both. So that's kind of the way I would play it in large pay, large field, large payout tournaments. Uh, but let's just say you do play Tiamu. How would you go about doing that, knowing he's going to be chalk? Yeah, I think one of the things we want to do in that type of situation is have more of him than – or have – more exposure to that team than everybody else feels comfortable with. So maybe in this situation, it's kind of tough with Tamu because if you're playing him, you're almost in a way hoping for a rushing touchdown from him. But uh, maybe, you know, one of the ways you would do it is pair him with um, three pass catchers or four pass catchers or something like that, or um, maybe a running back or, uh, you're just trying to think of ways that you can come off of you know, the, the more popular thing here is people are going to look and say, well, who are the two highest drafted receivers, Derek Willies and Derek Dillon. So they'll play Tamu Willies and Dillon here, and that'll be a very popular three-way stack there. So maybe just go with one of those guys and sprinkle in Rashard Davis, I think is a guy with a ton of upside who's played some NFL ball as well. He's a late addition to the roster, uh, but seems to be working his way on up. So, yeah, I think there's some ways uh, to get unique by basically saying, well, I'll actually just do this more than everybody else does. Everybody feels comfortable with a, a, a two receiver stack here. I'll go three or I'll go four, you know, getting a little bit more pieces of the pie there. What do you think of playing a running back with Tiamu since we know that the bandits, barring a late injury that I missed, you're on top of this stuff, uh, have two on their roster? right yeah um you know obviously they're going to be negatively correlated uh a quarterback in their own running back typically however if you're banking on the fact that the bandits are just awesome like that's the that's the theory here the bandits are just the class of the league then yeah they can both succeed in the same game tamu can put up a nice 20 point performance and bj emmons also falls in the end zone after 60 yards rushing and gets you a dozen that's probably a plenty from your running back position. Uh, so yeah, I don't think there's any reason to, to shy away from it. It's not going to be the most balanced roster, but it'll give you a little bit of uniqueness. On the other side of the ball, Kyle Laletta, I expect to be fairly popular as well. Uh, shined in very limited play with the Browns in the preseason. So what do we think about the Pittsburgh offense as a response to anyone who overloads on Tampa Bay's offense? Yeah, I, I have a tough time getting excited about Pittsburgh, honestly. And uh, while I, I think Kyle Letta might actually be one of the better quarterbacks in this league, uh, this looks like a team that's going to lean super run heavy. Um, 
Loletta's had a couple interviews come out recently uh, where he's mentioned uh, about the balance of this team and balance is quarterback code word for we're going to run the ball a lot. And the the coach for this team, Kirby Wilson, a long time, like almost 30 year NFL running backs coach. And so they're going to want to establish the run early and often. I think Madre London, to me, I like him better than Garrett Groshek. As a, as a guy who can come in and take volume in this offense. And Madre was one of the guys sort of signed off the street. Um, it was not drafted, was playing in Europe not that long ago. But he's a guy who I'm sort of taking a stand on and saying, no, it's not Groshek who's the number one. I think it's going to be Madre London. For those that don't know, Garrett Groshek is basically millennial Mike Allstott. He looks the same with the mullets. He's a giant dude who basically is a fullback, but I worry since Kirby Wilson, as you mentioned, historically strictly a running backs coach, that's what he preferred to be his job throughout the NFL, uh, has talked up Groshek and trusting his guys. But what that tells me is either way, even if he either uses Groshek or leans on Madre London, as you mentioned, it could be a low-scoring affair or slow affair anyhow. So it doesn't seem like we're going to get many much volume from this game anyways, which yet again goes right back to fading the chalk USFL quarterback and perhaps a low-scoring affair. Yeah, exactly. If Pittsburgh can make this an ugly game, that's all you can ask for. And then you've got uh, you've limited your player pool now to six viable quarterbacks. And if you can strike out Perez from that possibly, now you're down to five. Um, and, and maybe you can sort of build around those guys. Any final closing thoughts on how you want to play this inaugural week, whether it be uh, going overweight on a certain stack or player or anything you might have mentioned at the top of the show, might have forgot to mention? Yeah, and no, I, I think that obviously we're putting a lot of work into projections and mm -hmm. we want to get it right. But do know that there is a very real opportunity now more than ever in an upstart league that's never played a snap before that these projections could be dead wrong. And we're trying to make them as good as possible. So that's not the best sales pitch perhaps, but um, just know that they're inherently fragile. And so maybe you take a stand on who you think could be the off the wall guy who comes out of nowhere. Um, and, you know, maybe it is, Nobody wants to play Kyle Loletta from the Maulers because they, they think this is going to be a run-based team. Uh, so maybe you just go crazy there. And that's a good way if you're only going to, say, sprinkle one dart into the large field tournament, that would be the type of thing you'd want to do. Um, if you're going to play a lot of uh, lineups like I plan to do, I'm probably going to want to focus more on who the actual best plays are going to be. Uh, at least on paper and try to find as many sort of combinations and dive deeper uh, with those guys. So it's about, you know, sort of adjusting for field size. One thing that's going to be super important to me is I'm going to want more um, correlation than the field, because what I do know is that it's not super likely that you will have to have a perfect lineup to win this tournament. Um, you know, while that's probably the case on a four game NFL slate where we have really good information, the odds are likely that everybody step, steps on at least one landmine. So I'm okay with over-correlating here. And, you know, maybe I'll end up with a, a receiver that only has three catches for 30 yards in my lineup. But that's probably going to be okay if that so happens to me. I landed on the two receivers who actually caught touchdowns from that same quarterback. Um, now we've got a lineup that's cooking. And sure, I took one player more than I really needed to there, but it got me the two that I needed. 
Um, so yeah, I, I think part of the thing is going to be setting up your optimizer to follow the rules that you want it to follow. And to me, you know, making sure that you have uh, three to four players from the team of your quarterback is going to be really important. Three to four players. And as you mentioned, over correlating also, are you trying to get in two receivers from the opposite teams and game stacks? I'm not forcing game stacks. Okay. Um, yeah, if they happen, and I think it's obviously a supernatural place for it to be in that Breaker Stars game um, where we think that if there is a shootout spot, that's the one. Um, maybe that's a good one to go ahead and let that uh, open that opportunity up. Um, you know, and another thing is like, I, I'm not typically going to be trying to play my defense from one of the games that I have a lot of players from. Um, just setting some basic stuff like that. But yeah, if the game stack happens because I want several players from the same team, um, yeah, I think that's fine. But I, I really don't want to force it because I'm not playing for a shootout game necessarily. I'm playing for we don't know which team is the really good one just yet. Totally fair. And I will also remind everyone to, with the games not being stacked, as I mentioned at the top, make sure after every game or apps when the games start, to look at your lineups, see the ownership on players, and judge from there. Because if you do end up with a 20 30% player, and you most likely will by accident, since we really don't know, we're still trying to gauge which way it's going to go, and that player fails, you pretty much have to late swap in the next round. So just be very wary of what's happening. Uh, there is no better opportunity than this in week one, where we don't know anything, than, as you mentioned, Justin, to use the projections and the information we have more of a guide than a blueprint. Like we are trying to leverage all that information since every piece of information is information. We just know how to, we need to know how to use it accordingly. So stay on your toes week one. And then next week we will be back for a show with more data, with more routes run and with actual snaps talks and more injury reports. So until then, Justin, tell them what they can find at run the Sam Saturday morning to make sure their lineups are clean and prestigious for the slate. Yeah, we've got the optimizer rocking and rolling and it stays constantly updated with, you know, based on what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing. Uh, I'm trying to keep that stuff uh, as, as crystal clean as possible. That'll be the best way to make your classic lineups. And then we have an awesome simulator uh, for our showdown lineups. And essentially what's happening in a simulator is you get to pick sort of the, the general game script, which players are involved, which players are not involved. We've got some stock stuff right in there for you. But uh, you click run the Sims and we run through 5,000 simulations of that game based on that information and spit out the optimal lineup for all 5,000 of them. And obviously some of those are going to repeat. Those are going to be the best lineups that you can play in those large field contests. So it makes for a great way to take some of the guesswork out of showdown. Uh, it factors in all those correlations and things for you automatically. And it's just, to me, it's, it's the way to build showdown lineups. I don't build any other way other than using that simulator. And I've had a lot of success so far in showdown. So whether you're a classic player, a showdown player, we've got something for you. We've got player props uh, over there. Um, you know, we're trying to pluck off some prize picks lines at the moment, which I think they've got some that we can really take advantage of. They were uh, they were pretty weak when they opened. They're pretty yeah, weak. Yeah, yeah. So why don't we go ahead and do that? And um, <laughs> you can find all that over at runthesims.com. Use code 4 for 4. And at 4 4, we also have Jeff Hicks' betting column for USFL, as well as my DFS column, which will be out Saturday morning. So look for all of that. Until then, remember, every week moving forward, USFL Daily here, Friday. 3.30 p.m. Eastern. We will see you for week two.